got loads of time. It's not going to take me long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do it later. These things come up time and time again as the top procrastination tactics that our teens are likely to throw at us. Now, the fact that these things are rarely true does not seem to mean that it's easier to convince them otherwise. So, what is it that sits behind our teens' often dysfunctional relationship with time? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy, and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students, and teachers to hear how things are going. Specifically, we're interested in the highs and lows, the trials and tribulations in the run-up to exams in 2022. We'll be covering everything from trouble getting going to burning the candle at both ends, from students who are overzealous and anxious to those who are underperforming yet nonchalant. Through these shared real-world experiences, I hope that you'll take comfort that you're not alone. Perhaps more importantly, I hope that you'll take away some insights and advice that can help you to support your own team so that they'll not just survive the exams, but perhaps thrive in the preparation. So, if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Matt. Matt is the dad to two teens. Lily, his daughter, took her A-levels last year, and his son, Joe, is preparing for his GCSEs in the summer. Matt, thanks very much for joining. It's great to have you on the show. Let's kick off by finding out a little bit more about you. So tell us, how are things at Casa Matt? Well, they're they're all good, I suppose. Uh, Like many people, spent the last two years working at home, and me being at home, certainly last year into this, our son Joe, who's 15 going on 16, him being here when trying to prepare for mocks or cope with the end of year 10, that created some pinch points. Uh, Lily was really, to a certain extent, sailing through her A-levels. It was still stressful, but because of the nature of A-levels last year and the way that exams you know, didn't really happen, there wasn't those pressure points. So Lily's kind of sailed off to university now which is great, enjoying life. My wife's a primary school teacher, which means that supposedly education should be a rich topic of conversation and enthusiasm here in the house. So you talk about some of those pinch points, and I wonder whether how much of that is due to almost a revelation of seeing how Joe was studying. I think like any parent, you want, you want your kids to enjoy their education. You want them to succeed more than you did, which by my standards is not a high bar. Um, (laughs) And you want, and and this goes for so many aspects of life, as an adult, you've learned from your mistakes and you want to try and help your kids shortcut that journey. And however much you know they need to make their own mistakes, you can't help trying to intercept that journey and say, don't don't do it that way. I used to do that. It's rubbish. Do it this way. Of course, they don't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they don't want to know from you. And that that inevitably creates a lot of pressure. And that's about, no. yeah, yeah there's, there's been lots of those pressure points between Joe and I. And there have been between Lily and I and my wife and Lily as well. But Joe's a boy and he's different to Lily in because he's a different human being. And so if you try and teach treat them the same way, that doesn't work either. 
There is, it's odd, isn't it? There's something almost irresistibly magnetic about a, a parent jumping up and down, screaming, elephant trap this way, don't come this way. I wonder what's that way. <laughs> yeah, you can see them walking towards that elephant trap and you know that that's going to be a bumpy ride. You don't want them to do that. But if you say, no, don't go that way, they are more compelled to do so. And you think it's just to get up your nose. And it feels like that. And I, I realise that I take a lot of hmm. those kind of parenting stresses personally. I think my kids are saying and doing things particularly to wind me up, which they're not. And of course, the reverse is true. They think that, I, in fact, my son has said to me only last night when I was encouraging to clean up the kitchen, <laughs> do you do that deliberately to wind me up? Hmm. And genuinely, I d sometimes my wife would say that I do, but genuinely, <laughs> it, it, I didn't last night. I, I was going to say, if we can treat this like a confession, actually, there are times when actually I do. I just do do it to wind them up, and I don't know why. I think it's become almost revert back to childlike status. And actually, yeah, I would like that little dig, the little unhelpful comment, the little little tweak of sarcasm that I, apparently I'm really good at. If I can't encourage you, I'll have a swipe. <laughs> yes, I think, I mean, if there was a GCSE in sarcasm, I'm sure you and I might have got straight A's, but that, but our kids are in no way interested in that. No. And they, and they can sniff it a mile off. <laughs> Typically met with a groan. Oh, really? So you're talking about some of those, um, some of those elephant traps that you can see Joe lurching towards. And I wonder if you could just talk through, um, maybe an example of what some of those are. I think that one of the things I've realized is that. Joe is broadly, seems to be broadly disorganized, unaware of time, time management, what the time is, even reading the time. In our kitchen, where I'm currently sat, we've got a large clock above the door. It's got Roman numerals on it. My kids really struggle with that, <laughs> like really struggle with that. And they've said it out loud. So um, anyway, we have other clocks in the house. Uh, and of course, they have clocks on their phones. So being organized and trying to learn about how long something takes and therefore being able to repeat that or not repeat that is something that I've tried to encourage. And certainly during year 10 and mocks in year 11, I was trying to say, well, okay, why don't you do like 45 minutes or an hour on this particular subject or try and do this paper, do it for, for an hour, see how far you get along. And then in an hour, stop. And let's chat about it. You know, let's see what progress you've made. You don't have to finish it. Let's just see what you can do in an hour, even if it's just one question. Typically, Joe likes to study upstairs in what I will call the distraction room. That's his bedroom. <laughs> rather than down here where I am. In fact, anywhere that I'm not is acceptable over and above being in the same <laughs> room as me. But very often, and this happened a lot around mocks and, and at other times, I'll then sort of shout up the stairs or communicate via my universal speaker in the corner just so I can connect up to his room. How, how's it going, Joe? What? Have you stopped? <laughs> You've been doing it now. I haven't started. When, when did you say start that? And it's that disorganization of, but we agreed a time. You were going to start. You were going to stop at this time. I suggested you set a timer. And he hasn't even started because he's in the room of distraction. That causes frustration. Frustration from my side that he hasn't kept to what we've agreed. Frustration on his side because I'm nagging 
and he can start that hour whenever he chooses. And that, that's a, a good example of how it's actually nothing to do with his ability to understand a question or tackle a, a problem in maths or science or English or whatever it is. It's the fact that he's not organized enough to start and stick to a time frame and realize the benefits of doing that and then reflecting back. That causes a lot of grist in the mill. I want to reach out and tell you, you are not alone. And actually, so you talked before about um, the differences between boys and and girls, and I think there are uh, any number of them that that we can see. But actually, I don't think that this whole weird perception of what time is and how long it lasts and actually when does it start is gender specific. I think there's something that, that happens across boys and girls. And it's just weird, isn't it? As you say, that whole thing, oh, I didn't know you meant now. But what part of saying get started now was ambiguous? I, I thought it was clear. I thought I thought we understood. I suspect what happens in the in the mind of a the murky mind of a team, but going upstairs and think, I'll I'll just clear my messages, or I'll just check TikTok to see who's liked my or whether or not. and then all of a sudden, an hour later, a disembodied voice of dad comes over the speaker, which I love. I'm getting one of those. I think that's amazing. Yeah, and, and I think I think um, it's that. You said about, I thought we understood each other. You know, I thought you said, okay. When in fact, what they said was, oh. <laughs> and it's easy for a parent to assume that oh, means, yes, I've got that, Dad. I'm going to start the maths paper now. I've set my timer to go off in, an, in exactly 60 minutes. I'll come down and see. Because that's what we want them to do. That's what we, we hope for the best for our kids. We want them to feel that they are embracing our guidance, that they see that we want to support them on their journey to educational success and success in life. And by doing these basic things, they will, we will, as a family unit, take a step forwards. Whereas, in fact, you know, he will say to me, I don't don't remember that, did we? I don't don't know. And of course, (laughs) as a 15-year-old boy, he does speak in tones that are broadly only audible to bats or whales. (laughs) Him trying to remember things is clearly an issue for Joe, so much so that I began looking into, is he wired differently? Is he, does he have some particular challenges that the school are not noticing? He goes to a school, Lily went to the same school, where they're very well geared up for kids who are very bright, and they're pretty well geared up to look after the kids at the bottom of the pile who need that extra support. And Lily and Joe definitely somewhere in the middle. And this is a school that's not great at somewhere in the middle. At least that's my perception. So I really became concerned that Joe had some particular challenges that weren't being recognised. Anyway, after doing some digging around, I perhaps reassured myself that I was getting my knickers in the twist. And if I open the ADHD type can of worms, it's a much bigger can of worms than even some of the experts would acknowledge. So I'm, I'm less worried about that now. But Joe does talk to me often about struggling to remember, or he will just say, I don't remember. I don't remember that. And my concern is, what is his head full of? (laughs) That in itself is a never-ending piece of string. And is it a question you actually want answered? No, no, I I don't think it is. I I certainly (laughs) know that it's not the same sort of stuff that I was interested in at his age, some of which I won't repeat on this podcast. Please. But but it's it's not those things. And what I'm talking about is, you know, Ian, Ian Botham's cricketing prowess and mountains to climb in the Alps. But anyway. You and I had very different childhoods. 
<laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yes, my wife said I was the exception. <laughs> I think, but anyway, but Joe and all of the kids of his generation are generally consuming a vast amount of entertainment and information, like huge amounts. And I wonder what space there is for learning about, you know, Elizabethan mm. history or quadratic yeah. equations or whatever else it might be. And when he says, I don't remember saying that, did I? I don't know. I am sympathetic sometimes that he can't possibly have space to accommodate that. And actually one of the tactics I try and suggest is, and this sounds very analog, write it down, Joe. Where can you write that down? Would you like a notepad? Why don't you start a notes page on your phone? Do it on the laptop. Scroll it on the wall. But of course he doesn't do that. He'll forget to write it down. Do I write it down for him? How overbearing do I get? Is it better to stand back and let him walk towards that elephant trap? Probably. You can't help but wonder whether or not actually there's an awful lot of what's interesting to him that helps. Because something that doesn't fascinate us at the time, like spending an hour doing a, a mass paper, is something that's easy just drifted in and out, especially if we're not if we're not paying full attention to dad, which I suspect is not um, unusual in households up and down the country, certainly not in, uh, similar in mine, that that whole bit of yeah, that's what we'll do, actually also translates from teen to parent as, I'm not actually listening, I'm just walking away now. Or this is the sound you need to hear to shut up so that I can crack on. And so actually, it never really went in in the first place. So it couldn't have been forgotten because it just wasn't interesting enough. And I do think, uh, to your point earlier, that actually an awful lot is about the entertainment and that sort of immediacy of, a three or four second burst of something that happens on Tic Tac or a Tic Tac. <laughs> oh my God, I've just become my granddad. You're, you're, so, <laughs> down, you're so down with it. <laughs> or that snap book. Um, or, or the reels or all of these kinds of things because it's just, it's so short and you then swipe and you move on. And so actually anything that takes much more involvement than that is is really got to yield a huge benefit if they're going to pay any kind of interest in it. There's a couple of things there. First of all, I've realized that Joe is a very, very different human to me in that I am generally an enthusiastic, sunny communicator who, who will talk to anybody, bounce into a room and try and brighten it up slash annoy everybody. I'm over-enthusiastic about life, some people would argue. And of course, who wants a world full of people like that? Crikey, definitely not. But Joe is very, very different in that he's very phlegmatic. He's Mr. Layback. He's broadly dispassionate. It's difficult to get very motivated about anything. You know, you said, what do they get excited about and how can you kind of draw connections to those kind of things? And I could say, well, he doesn't seem to get very excited about anything. There are a few exceptions. Seemingly watching other people play some kind of computer game on YouTube, something that he can fill his time with, with great enthusiasm, or indeed playing, you know, let's say FIFA on his Xbox or watching other people unpack their player cards on FIFA. You know, it is the equivalent of me watching somebody buying an oversized pack of bubble gum in 1978 and looking at what cards they've got and then, you know, drawing a crowd of other people to watch that seems alien to me, but to him and other people of his kind, they love that kind of stuff. And if there was a GCSE or an A-level or a degree or a career, in FIFA, then again, he would score very highly. He would be engaged, at least I think he would. But that doesn't seem to align with the current national curriculum. Not so much. And I've certainly, I've 
been through a fair number of GCSEs and IGCSEs, and it doesn't crop up a lot. You have got to be honest. No, uh, I think, but it, there are. I know there are various bits of software that can analyze how teenagers play different computer games and look at actually if you're doing that kind of game and you're approaching it in that kind of way and you're always getting this kind of result then actually your skill set is this and that's really useful in these kind of careers and i do think they're interesting of course getting Mm. somebody like joe to engage with those when again he can smell a rat he doesn't want to play that game yet but all in good time yeah I i do think it's interesting actually that that there is that thing that Joe has, which is FIFA, and then seemingly everything related to FIFA. As you say, it's it's a it's a world I don't understand. Um, maybe it's because I was never ever good at. Maybe it's because it didn't even exist when I was growing up. But it's just I just don't understand it at all. But Jake was the same, my eldest. So anything related to FIFA, the uh, the watching the packs, the watching players doing particular moves everything was about because it seemed the pinnacle of his existence was to be brilliant at at fifa and you sort of think actually i i I get that your interest isn't in being the best at geography um, because the reason why you might want to do that is just too nebulous a concept but if i could find out how you were mostly interested in fifa or if there was what that spark was and sort of apply it to other things i mean they're there's nothing they couldn't solve in the amount of energy that goes into this. You, you mentioned geography and FIFA. So one of the things that Joe can startle an audience with is his knowledge of flags. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he, he chose not to do geography, strangely, not that flags even come up in geography very often. It's the kind of thing that might appear in a general knowledge quiz in a pub in maybe 2000. 48. Anyway, but he's learned that a lot from looking at international football shirts on <laughs> FIFA. So he can see what flag is on somebody's chest, learns the patterns and the color codes and the shapes, and he can recite those quite quickly. He was staying with a friend recently and they went out for some food and entertained the people in the pub with his knowledge of, of flags. So it is not his inability to learn a set of facts or some visual patterns or whatever else it might be and these are skills that do crop up in gcses Mm. it is just how he connects to the subject of education and certainly sitting in a classroom with you know an adult at the front talking to them and i know education is not just like that these days but i suppose what i see in joe is that somebody who isn't particularly thriving in in a sort of conventional education environment and will will thrive somewhere else, somehow else. I don't, you know, I didn't particularly thrive in that environment either. And even though I said I'm very different to Joe, and it's not until actually I kind of left education did I begin to mature and pick up the skills that I thought were important. And of course, there's lots of things you learn at school that help you in the rest of your life, but not all of them are taught in a classroom. I think I learned a lot more about communicating in the playground or with the girls who were taller or older than me than I did about, you know, getting really good at physics. God rest Mr. Hogarth, he used to throw border rubbers at us. So I think, you know, there's part of me that gets concerned about Joe wrangling with the GCSEs in front of him and how he's going to fare. But I also know he'll be fine regardless. Mm. You don't need to pass everything in life to be a success, far from it. No, absolutely. I think there's something interesting in the in that flags analogy, because as you say, 
what that's clearly showing is that his ability to retain information and recall information is spot on. And actually, bizarrely, Jake was exactly the same. And even now, can still work through any flag you show him. He would, um, he'd be able to get, which I think is a, a weird skill to have. As you say, it's it's pub quiz worthy, but um, you've got to wonder if your energies wouldn't be better spent on something else. Nevertheless, what it shows is that Joe's got that stuff. There's nothing. There's nothing odd in the wiring that means he's not retaining information. It's it's a, a selectivity to actually. This is worthy of being in my head, and and this isn't. And if it's worthy, then it's it's something I will invest time in and yield the results. Whether that's entertaining a crowd at a bath or being able to get it down in your in your GCSE exams is is obviously a different matter. I'll, I'll mention something else that I've learned from Joe, and this is partly why I reached out to Study Buddy in the first place. When we did mocks, when he was doing mocks in the autumn, I was trying to give him some kind of structure about how he could revise. He wasn't really interested in, in anything that I was saying. He certainly wasn't sufficiently self-motivated to put his own structures into place. So I literally printed out a timetable of a week that he could pin on his wall. And I said, right, Joe, you write in the things that you want to revise on each of these days. Write down how much time you're going to do. I don't think he actually did that. But he did write down some subjects or the things that he needed to do. And I think he only filled in one sheet. I didn't then go back and say, here's another sheet. What are you going to do next week or the next week? But he'd got like five of the seven days filled with something that he should revise. And that meant that when he came home from school, when his mocks were essentially round the corner, he did have something to look at and focus. And if I said, what revision are you going to do? He'd say, biology, uh, no, chemistry. Uh, and, and he'd look and, and it gave him a visual focus. And that's why I realized that something like something physical that he could see, that was beginning to interact with him and give him some kind of structure that he wasn't going to impose himself. And it wasn't imposed by me or his mum. But there was something that was written down that ultimately he had written down in scritchy, scratchy handwriting in really small letters, which didn't fill the space, which unsettled me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but he had something to look at and that gave him the guidance. <laughs> now, maybe, maybe what happened was I'd call up the stairs and say, Joe, what are you revising? And he would say, English. It just gave him an answer to give me. And that took away the friction between <laughs> us. What do you mean you don't know what you're doing? You should know. Well, you know, if that's all it did, that helped. Hmm. Actually, we find that an awful lot that that in the absence of motivation and enthusiasms to study, then structure and discipline goes an awful long way. Because I think teen boys in particular, but it's not exclusive, have this inability to cope in a vacuum. So what are you going to do? Oh, I don't know. And then the brain clams up and then all of a sudden it's, why is he nagging me? And why is this happening? And oh, haven't I spent enough time at school? And oh, I can do it tomorrow. There's loads of, and, and everything else that sort of comes in and, and that whole cog mechanism that is the teen brain just completely shuts down and, and it becomes disinterested. Whereas if you can take that decision out of that moment where it's, it becomes much more emotional and do it before, as Joe did by printing off the sheets and, and even if it's scratchy scratchy, um, writing down subjects, actually, in the moment, then it's it's not the question that you need to answer. What are you doing, uh, biology? And that's the first barrier, and they can then start to start to get on with it. So, I think as a as a first step goes, that um, sounds 
that sounds really, really positive to me. It definitely extinguished or diluted some of the tension that was kind of flying around because inevitably kids get stressed when they've got to do exams. I think all kids, even if you're the brightest kid in the class, you feel like you haven't done enough. You feel like you've been mm. rumbled and you're going you're to be exposed because you're about to be quite literally tested. And some kids worry about f- failing. Maybe all kids worry about failing. I think some kids, maybe Joe falls into this camp. He's not, he's not looking that far ahead to worry about what will happen next. Mm. If I said, What's, what, what have you got to do tomorrow? I don't think he'd have an answer. Today would be enough. This morning, or just next, is probably as far as Joe is ready to kind of focus. And, and that's all right. And this, the school teachers that we've spoken to over the years, they've all said, nothing wrong with Joe's ability. It's just his ability to get organized, to get himself, mm. get his coat off, sit down, get his books out, get them open on the right, the right page. And that's what made me think maybe Joe's got some challenges. You know, I think there's a lot of kids who are just very laid back and, mm. you know, not too worried about being late or last or whatever. You know, it's just those things are not that important to them at this time. Maybe those things no. become more important to them as they progress through through the rest of life. But maybe not. There's lots of people who are quite happy to turn up late and that's that's their norm. That's their comfy space. And, of course, there are people at the other end of the scale who can't, couldn't conceive not being early. And some of those people are just way too uptight. And some of the people who love to be late miss out on some of the fun. But there is room for everybody in the world. Yeah. I think ideally, though, you'd want somewhere in the middle, wouldn't you? Because my um, my daughter's exactly in the, I'm a poster girl for well-being, really, because she doesn't seem to be faced by anything, which I also I could phrase as being doesn't give a monkey so that, broadly anything and has two speeds it's either her speed or stop i mean there's there is no sense of urgency which i don't get especially in the morning when it's time for school and it's the same every morning and it has been for years like it's half seven now em we need to be in the car yeah yeah, yeah. just a minute <laughs> that that holding pattern of um yeah, yeah i'll get on with it the the, the more the morning time it's funny how mornings especially since many of us have been working at home where actually Mm. I don't need to be in a car. I don't need to be on a train. I, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Everybody else is. And so I don't have to get stressed about me getting somewhere on time. What I have to do is I get back from a dog walk at about 10 to eight. And I say to my wife, is Joe not down yet? Mm. And, And the answer is no, he's not. Joe might not even be out of bed. He leaves at eight o'clock in the morning to walk up to get the bus. And in my world, you know, Joe, what? Whoa, come on, let's go. Whoa, whoa, let's move. Come on. Breakfast, teeth, out. <laughs> Joe's like, whoa, I've got a whole nother nine plus minutes. <laughs> Yesterday, I did it in four. Whoa. And of course, that's what he's saying in his head. He won't talk to me. He'll just grunt, which is fair enough, you know. Lots of people do grunt in the mornings. But I've realized that I need to disengage with what's going on between sort of anywhere between half past seven and eight o'clock because me stressing about it in no way contributes to success. Joe, I don't think, has ever missed the bus. End of story. (laughs) And I I say I do exactly the same thing myself. That 
that we think that it's not going to happen unless we shout. So I'm there shouting at, at 7.30 and then 7.31, 7.32, 7.32 and 30 seconds. And so that's now sort of my routine. In fact, it's got to the point where I don't, I'm sitting on the bottom of the step waiting for the next time I have to shout, thinking that I'm an integral part of the fact that she leaves the house at all. But of course, as you say, actually, I don't, I don't really know. If I didn't do the shouting, what would happen? It's just an assumption. And sort of think maybe that what we need to do is, is sort of let them fall over, let, them, let him miss the bus if he's going to, so that actually we all know from a control group what's happened in this situation. Okay, then what you really want is, remember how that played out yesterday when I didn't shout words of um, angelic encouragement to you where my dulcet tones weren't ringing around the hallway you missed the bus let's not do that again it's just difficult to do it isn't it as a parent sort of think i need to step back and sort of really just let you fall if you're going to there's two two key lessons that i learned as a, as a parent as a dad one really quite recently and one a couple of years ago a couple of years ago i went to see a chiropractor and the chiropractor was a quite quite a hippie end of chiropractors and it was a kind of holistic practitioner really interested in all of you not just what my spine was doing and he talked to me about a bit about parenting he got a sense of the kind of person i was you know that sunny communicator <laughs> over communicator he asked me about work and i said work was relatively flat at the minute and there wasn't that much going on and i was a bit underwhelmed and understimulated and he kind of picked up at the, the fact that if I'm understimulated in some parts of my life, so I'm not getting that opportunity to communicate or engage with other people, I then turn that towards other parts of my life. And he identified or helped me identify. I was relatively underwhelmed and understimulated in the workplace. I was driving home and I'd get home and I would start communicating at people with the kids. I was looking for some kind of verbal interaction that would stimulate me. And if you view parenting in that view, and I appreciate not everyone's the same as me, some people are completely the opposite, but for me, it made me realise that who was I shouting for? Was I shouting because I thought I was helping them or was I shouting because I, actually I had some kind of deep-seated need to get some human stimulus? So that was really interesting. The other lesson I learned much, much more recently, like literally a couple of weeks ago, where I think I'd had a falling out with Joe and, and my wife had got involved as well. And it, it, it wasn't any of us at our best. But I'd been and met some colleagues in, in what is a relatively new job. It's the first time I'd met this particular team. I'd been up to London. And we'd all been chatting a little bit about parenting. And I'd said to them that I used to think that I was going to be a great dad. And part of the reason why I thought that was because all through my adult life, I have taught or co coached teenagers. I've been a scout leader. I've coached an under-15s cricket team. Even now, I coach athletics to teenagers. I like to think that I'm an adult who can engage with, educate, and motivate teenagers. And I think that I'm that kind of, hi, I'm the sports coach kind of guy with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard on the radio, um, my wife and I, about how Bono from U2 had gone along to a part, a gathering where his teenage daughter was. So she was all sat down with her friends in this restaurant having a, and dad walked over. And of course it's Bono. It's Bono. 
you'd think the whole restaurant would stop. And what his daughter said was, go away, dad. You, you, know, you don't need to be here. Or, or... So, so my wife and I have now developed a phrase, if I'm trying to be the cool sports coach kind of dad, hey, don't do it that way. Do it like this. Let me help you, you know, kind of guy. She just says, be less Bono. because you you don't need to be at the end of the day whether you're bono ian botham any anybody who you think is a you know cool adult engaging with young people if they're your kids you are not cool you are not the teacher you are just their dad (laughs) (laughs) you see it's really so i had i think almost a polar opposite approach so but I thought I'd be the fun-loving one when when we first got married. Before we had children, I thought I'm going to be I'll be the fun dad because I'm the fun person. Um, but apparently not. Apparently that's not the way that's turned out at all. I'm I'm far stricter with them um, with the children than than my wife is, which is odd because she's actually has no bones about being strict with me. So I don't really know where that came from. Maybe maybe I'm that outlet. Um, but I remember having conversations with Jake when he would say, "Well, that's not very friendly." Okay. But I'm not here to be your mate. This isn't a friendship yet. The time you can put your hand into your pocket and buy me a pint, we'll be friends. But until then, I've sort of got a job to do. <laughs> and and you're it. Well, I think that scenario is a lot tied up with how we were parented, I sense, or what we think parents, what a parent's job is. So much of which we will have learned from our own parents whether they were present or not, uh, how we saw other kids get parented, how parental relationships with their kids is played out through the media, film, television, literature, whatever. And as, as I was saying at the beginning, you know, we are all different humans. We're not alike, really. We're not the same. And it's absolutely okay and very normal for my kids to be very, very different people to me. And it just means that you have to think differently. You have to think around the challenge ahead of you and think, how do I engage and motivate this child? Or indeed, is that the last thing I need to be doing? Do I just stand back and let life play out? Because by doing that, that's also being a really great parent sometimes. You know, you can be there when they need you, but you don't need to be ever present in their world. Not even Bono needs that. I get such a fabulous feeling of we're all in this together when chatting with other parents. Of course, our children are all individuals and the way that they approach things is nuanced, but I absolutely love the echoes of my own experiences that I get, especially having been talking to Matt. I get that feeling I just can't be the only one. I think for many of us, Matt would have absolutely hit the nail on the head in talking about our teens' relationship with time and the fact that it is decidedly odd. Whether it's spending an hour to delay an hour's work or putting things off until very last minute and then feeling quite affronted at the fact that there's only a minute left. Perhaps it's because time is immaterial, but I really don't think that it's that simple. Most of us would recognise that when something is important to our young people, whether it's FIFA or horse riding or meeting up with mates, then time management and organisation seems to be less of an issue for them. 
And I guess actually that shouldn't really be much of a surprise. I mean, after all, we all get more enthusiastic about the things that we want to do. So it seems to me that the big difference then between them and us, teens and parents, is that when it comes down to revision and homework, for the majority, it just doesn't register as being important enough. Now, more often than not, our teens will acknowledge, albeit begrudgingly and maybe in grunting form, as Matt talked about, that exams are important. And they might even use that word, but they just don't really seem to believe it. And I think the word important in this context just doesn't translate from teen to adult in the way that we might expect. I've said it before, I know, but I've not yet met a student who's actively hoping to fail. Now, they might have resigned themselves to failing or convinced themselves that if I haven't tried, I haven't really failed. But by and large, they just don't sense the size of the task. And so they they can quite happily believe that there's enough time later on. There are a number of problems, of course, with this, like there will eventually not be enough time if it keeps getting put off. But more than that, the head in the sand approach is destined to lead to additional stress and anxiousness when they do eventually uncover what needs to be done and what little time there is left to do it in. Now, this was one of the biggest drivers behind starting the study buddy, because when you know what it is that you've got to do, you can work out when you're going to do it. And that's an incredibly powerful position to be in. And not only does it give you a sense of control, but it's actually the most effective way of building confidence in being or feeling adequately prepared for the exams. And this in turn, as a virtuous circle, leads to a much healthier outlook and a reduced anxiety amongst our teens. And that is something that we all want. My thanks to Matt for openly sharing and to you for listening. If you'd like to be on a future episode and share how things are going, or perhaps just talk about something that's playing on your mind, please do drop me an email. The address is hello at thestudybuddy.com. And if you're looking for ways that you can support your own young person to fulfil their potential in their revision, then why not head over to the Study Buddy website? There you'll find a whole host of information about our innovative time management and study organising approach. More than that, though, you'll also find a blog packed full of useful articles, hints and tips. To find out more, why not make a beeline for thestudybuddy.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, I wonder if you'd mind leaving us a review and if it's not too much to ask, a five star rating. It all really helps us to reach other parents who, just like the rest of us, are looking to make some sense of it all in the run up to exams. Of course, don't forget to share the link to this and other episodes on your social media weapon of choice. It's greatly appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.